Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Where is boasting then? Is it excluded? By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Let's say at the start that the gospel 100% excludes boasting. That's pretty clear from the passage. And the boasting is excluded on the principle of faith. That means that all human achievement and all human accomplishment is gone. You can't start running a profit and loss sheet with God because soon enough, it's not going to be soon enough. We're in no time. You're going to think that God's indebted to you. We got to be careful of those things. You and I are in God's column of debt. We only come to him by faith. Self-boasting, get rid of it. Self-achievement, get rid of it. Self-satisfaction, forget about it. If you want to be in a right relationship with God, those self-isms do not and should not exist. None of it's about what you can do. Watch at the end of the verse. What does it say in Romans chapter 3, verse 27? But by the law of faith. Um, that law of faith means that I can't point to a work that I did and... I can't point to the law that told me that that work I did was right. So it's ex it excludes that. I can't point to what I did or what some, some law told me to do. That's why in Luke chapter 18, the Bible says, and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's what we're talking about with the law of faith. I've got no hope in myself. You've got no hope in yourself. We are all hopeless sinners. And you can only find hope in a merciful God. Because with all the good that you've done, with all the good that I have done, we still stand before the judge as guilty. And the law of faith should, if you've trusted Christ this morning, how does that law of faith affect you as a believer? We know how it affects the lost person. Okay. They don't have the right way to heaven. So it's some type of works. We know their destination. But you as a believer, you know where you're going when you die. So now the question is to apply it to our lives. How are you going to live? Well, Jude verse 20 says, building up yourselves of your most holy faith. You live in the holy life with holy faith to live that holy life. Galatians 2, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. That would be the life right now we're living because we're all living alive in the flesh, right? Who are you living it by? What's on, what's on the top shelf? Your achievements? What you have to achieve? 
We're living by the faith of the Son of God. Romans chapter 3, look at the next verse. Verse number 28, the Bible says, Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith. This is why boasting is excluded. Without the deeds of the law. No human glorying at all whatsoever comes into play. And Paul is closing out this chapter and he's silencing the proud boaster. Verse number 29. Is he the God of the Jews only? Well, because if he was, then guess what? The Gentiles wouldn't have. They wouldn't have a God. He's the God of the Jews only. Where does that leave the Gentiles? I mean, they didn't have any law. And God only gave the law to the Jews. What's the Bible say? Is he not also of the Gentiles? And then the question is answered. Yes, of the Gentiles also. So. The Jews going to get himself in a predicament here because the same God that's over them is the same God that's over the Gentile, even though the Gentile didn't get the law. We went over all that material. But Paul, he brings out another side of the problem with boasting. And that is this. The idea of this verse is that the Jew is basically saying with that belief, law, 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 it's a boast. But Paul brings the flip side of that coin and he says, look, your boasting causes you to claim that there's two gods. And no Jew would claim that. And so it's beautiful argumentation as Paul closes out this chapter under the Holy Spirit's inspiration because. A Jew can't maintain the position that there's one God for the Jews and then there's one God for the Gentiles. He can't maintain that. Paul is not arguing in verses 27, 28, 29. He is not arguing for justification by faith. Not in those verses. He has already closed out that thought in verse number 26. We already went through all that. He closed it out and has already argued for justification by faith. What Paul is arguing for in these last verses is the exclusivity of that justification. It is, it is not just for the Jews. I prove to you, fellows, that faith saves. So if you say that the law saves, what's the only way that that can be true? Paul says, look, I've proved you one way. Faith saves. If you and I come to God or if a Jew comes to God and say, well, works of the law save. What are we in? What are we saying by default? That there's two gods. There isn't. I right, go to, let's flip around in some Bible here. Jeremiah chapter number 10. Jeremiah chapter number 10. And Mark, Mark chapter number 12. Jeremiah chapter 10 and Mark chapter number 12. Don't get nervous. We're not going to read verses 2 through 5. 
but we'll 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 uh, put everybody at ease on that. We'll start at verse. But we will start in verse number one because watch what it says in Jeremiah chapter ten, verse number one: "Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel." That's a pretty clear introductory passage of who God's speaking to, right? Now go down to verse number six. Watch this. Anytime the Jew says salvation by works or bring works in at any in any way, shape, or form, by default, he has to say that there's two gods. But watch what it says in Jeremiah 10 in verse number six, for as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord. Thou art great, and thou na- and thy name is great in might. Who would not fear thee, O king of nations? With an S. Not just Israel as a nation. All the nations. We had more than one nation. We know that. They weren't all the nation of Israel. Same God. Look at the... Uh, Next part of verse seven, for to thee doth it appertain for as much as among all the wise men of the nations and all their kingdoms, there is none like unto thee. What does the nation of Israel know doctrinally from the from their Old Testament? They know that God, the same God over them, their nation is the same God over every other nation. So Paul is arguing out to close this out, this chapter out by saying, look, as soon as you say by works, you've got yourself another problem. You're saying there's two gods. Let's go to our Mark passage. Look at Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter number 12. Look at verse number 29. Mark chapter 12, verse number. Let's start at 28. Mark 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came. That would be a Jewish scribe that would have Jewish knowledge of the Jewish law, right? We know what a scribe is. And having heard them reasoning together and perceived that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, The Lord, our God, is what? One Lord. He's speaking to the scribe. He's speaking in Jewish language and letting them know that you guys know the commandment. There's one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, and with all thy strength. And this is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself there is none other commandment greater than these now watch what the scribe says and the scribe said unto him verse 32 well master thou hast said the truth for there is one god and there is none other but he i know the last few passages of romans 3 isn't like it isn't you know 26 and 27 of those verses there. I mean, they were chock full of good preaching stuff. But we can't miss this. 
if you talk to a Jew and they say it's by keeping the law or they say it's because we're God's chosen people that have the law. They're essentially saying that there's two gods because we see in both the old and the new Testament, when Jesus is speaking, O nation of Israel, they know there's only one God. <laughs> they know that they can't maintain the argument that you can be saved by works. And Paul strips that away from them by bringing them back to what they believe about God. I think it's brilliant. Romans chapter three, look at verse 30. Romans chapter three, verse 30. Look what it says. Seeing it is one God. Who shall justify the circumcision by faith. And uncircumcision through faith. If there's only one God, how many means of justification are there? One means of justification. If all are guilty and all have sinned, God's character would be unrighteous and unjust if he had two different means of salvation and justification. It wouldn't fit. His judgment would be unrighteous. So what does God do? In the unity of God, he excludes salvation by works. And he makes that exclusion based on the principle of faith. And anybody that says you could be saved by works says that there's two gods. And nobody would say there's two gods. And that's the point of why Paul's arguing this way. Deuteronomy chapter number six, you don't have to turn there, but the Bible says here, O Israel, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. What's the best way to witness to a Jewish person? By using the law. Showing them what they believe is one Lord. Here, O Israel, used 21 times in the Old Testament. You want to know what they... Every time they had synagogue service, guess what they're hearing? Hear, O Israel. The word of, they're, they're hearing that over and over and over. The Lord our God is one Lord. Look at Romans 3, verse 31. Look at his last verse. <clears throat> it says, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Would you agree with me that that's a pretty legitimate question? Do we then make void the law through faith? That's an honest question. Is salvation by grace alone? Yeah. Okay, so why do we need the law? If somebody asked that, that's a legitimate question. So you want to give them a legitimate answer. Number one, it establishes its strength when it's properly used because we all know using the law it shows people that there is no difference and we've all sinned if we took the ten commandments for instance you may have broken some that the other person didn't but the other person still did break some so it establishes the fact that we are all guilty none of us can escape that 
The other thing it does is How many of you have kept laws out of fear of the consequence? The law establishes the fact that you're afraid of a consequence, so you'll keep a law. Be to work on time. Okay, I don't want to get fired. Clean your room. Okay, I don't want to miss dessert. <laughs> People do things out of fear. Much preaching today is based on fear. Do this or the preacher's going to get you. Do this or God's going to get you. Don't do that or we'll embarrass you. Don't. And so people get caught up in this. It's a bit of a cult mindset. You, you have to do this or else. It's the law of fear. You know what the law of Christ brought an end to the law on the cross. For God so loved the world. For God so loved. You know what we have? A law of love. I hope you're not keeping commandments. And I hope I'm not keeping commandments out of fear. Because that's law stuff. I hope it's out of love. God gave because he loved. You want to obey God and his commandments because you love. Young ones, you have to move past the idea of just obeying dad because it's Father's Day. Well, no, this is a better example. You love dad, so you say happy Father's Day. You may have in the past done things because you're afraid of the consequence, but if there was no consequence and dad wasn't there, you still would have done it. You know what the law of love says? Even if there was no consequence, and even if dad didn't see me do it, I still don't want to do it because I love my dad. God isn't going to rain down fire and brimstone on you if you go out and disobey him this afternoon. I'm not going to come knocking on your door and say you're in trouble because you did. You don't have to fear to keep God's commands. You know what you have to do? Love them. And then you'll want to keep his commands. That's the idea. We start thinking about our past sin. I'm so wicked. I'm so sinful. I should have never done these, done these things. But we have to be careful that that thought doesn't go too far because it could start establishing in your mind. Oh, I could never serve the Lord because of what I've done. I could never because of, you know, I'm so wicked. I'm so this. Yeah, you were. So was I. So is everybody else. OK, we, we all sin. We've come short of God's glory. He saved us. But when you go back to that thinking, it's as if you are saying, you know, if I didn't do that, I really would have been good enough to come to God and serve him. We got to be careful how long we run that thought. Are you a born again child of God? You're not breaking the law of God when you disobey him 
as much as you are breaking the heart of God when you disobey. You know what a lot of young people do? They grow up in church. They hear the gospel. They're raised right. They're trained right. And when they leave to go out into the world and do their own things, they don't break the law of mom and dad as much as they break the heart of mom and dad. And that's just a fact. And if you haven't experienced that, praise God. But if you have experienced that, you know that you know that you know that your heart is broken more than some stupid rule that you had. It ain't about the rules, man. It's about who you love. Who you love. Who you love. I hope you love God. You ever been tempted to do wrong and you don't do it? Because you actually love the offend who, who the offending party would end up being? Some people don't care about the fine. What if you got enough money to pay the fine? Some people, they're so hardened, they don't care about a week in jail. What's the big deal? They don't care about the consequence. I'm asking you, obeying God, living for him, following his commands. Is it because you love him? It's the law of love. And I believe that law is far stronger. I remember those times as a teenager where the worst thing for me to see was the look on my father's face or the look on my mother's face because I love them and I had done wrong and they didn't come down on me it was just the it was just the look and I knew that I had broken their heart that's an awful thing to do don't break the heart of God he loves you and he died for you Live for him because you love him. Look at Romans 3, 21. Let's read these verses. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all, them that believe, for there is no difference. For all of sin to come short of the glory of God. None of us, none of us needed praise for performance. We needed pardon from our sin. And lost this lost and dying world, they don't need praise because they've performed better than somebody else. They need pardon from their sin. And it doesn't matter what that sin is. If it's the abominable sin that's being celebrated this month. It sends them to the same place that the false that the false religion send people. People need pardon from their sin and they can only be justified by one way. But the law can't excuse your sin. So we got a problem. And the law can't forgive your sin. So we got a problem. And the law requires 100% obedience. And we've got a third problem. Or some. Romans 3, 23 leaves us all speechless for all of sin. 
But the phrase at the end of the, la the, the last verse, at the end of this chapter, get Numbers 15 as we, as we, as we read this. Just tell you something in Numbers. Just get your spot there. Numbers chapter number 15. It says at the end of Romans 3, we establish the law. So I want you to imagine you're an Old Testament man. You're gathering sticks of wood in the forest. And you did that yesterday. Which would be the Sabbath. And the Bible says in Exodus, you shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath day. So how is this law established? Can you just let me go? No, you can't just let me go. I kindled a fire yesterday. I broke the law. Can you come and say to me, well, look, Brother Jimmy, I know you broke the law. Just don't let it happen again, okay? You can't do that either. Can you find somebody who has kept that part of the law in complete obedience and say, hey, we can just take their obedience and credit to your account? We can't do that either. Well, how do we establish the law? Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter number 15. Watch what it says. And they that found him, verse 33, Numbers 15, verse 33. And they that found him gathering sticks, brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation. I was gathering sticks in the wood. I was going to start a fire. You bring me to Moses and Aaron. And verse 34, they put him word because it was not declared what should be done unto him. And the Lord said unto Moses, the man shall be surely put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones. And he died as the Lord commanded Moses. You know how the law is established? By death. That's how it's established. I have to die. And that man, if he did that on the Sabbath, the law was established by death. That's how it's established. You know what we, we know what we preach? Christ crucified. You know what we preach? Christ died for our sins. You know what we preach? On the cross of Jesus Christ, his death established that law. Somebody had to die and the law required it. They couldn't let me go. That would be an unjust God. They couldn't say, hey, just keep it on the down low. Next time, don't let us catch you doing it. They can't do that. They can't bring somebody else in that said, hey, they kept the law. Don't worry about it. No, the law was established in the Old Testament by death. Now, we got a problem. We got a problem. Because either you're going to take me out and stone me. Or. 
somebody became a curse for me. And somebody went to the cross and bled out and died for me. And cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Christ tasted death. Every man. And you can only establish the law biblically by death. That's some shouting. That's some hallelujahs. Because praise God. Christ died for our sins. Did he die for your sins? He did. Did you receive him? But as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God. The cross established the law. And he took the full penalty owed us. And all the Jew does is lower the standard. And lower the requirement. Instead, he should allow the cross to be the curse. Where Christ took his curse upon his body on the tree. On the tree. Law was established on the cross and it is designed to bring somebody to the cross. I don't know if you get tired of hearing me say this or not. I won't know until you tell me, but we have about a dozen outreaches every month. Pick one a month and go and bring somebody to the cross. It's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. I can't do one one a month. Pick one a year. Well, I can't do one a year. You can do yard work for two, three hours on a Saturday. You can't you can't go out and do one type of public ministry for fifteen minutes. If you can do yard work in ninety degree heat, you can stand out for twenty minutes and give somebody a gospel track. All you men work in your yards. All you ladies work in your yards. I'm telling you, it stops at the cross. He died on the cross for your sin. The cross, the cross, the cross, the gospel. That's the power. I don't want to know about the next man on the next election to solve the problems of the world. I've got the solution. You've got the solution. I'm so sick and tired of people. Well, you got to keep the main thing, the main thing. It's funny. You haven't kept the main thing in 30 years. You haven't told anybody about the main thing. Yet the cross is where it's at. Christ's death on the cross. I've said it so much, I think you know it by now. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God and salvation. So is it the preacher's job to just preach the gospel? Or is it all of ours? Now, are you going to do it out of fear? Or are you going to do it out of love? Love. As we close out, just some closing thoughts. The only reason that people wallow in their past failures is really because they're holding on to a false hope that somehow their works could have did something better for them. If you have past failures, there ain't nothing you can do about it. Because if you didn't have those past failures, there'd be other ones. <laughs> Well, I'm just so glad I didn't do what that guy did. It's a false hope. You did something that that guy did. People don't need to be depressed. 
People don't need to be discouraged because Christ tasted death for every man. And if you would truly believe that and latch on to that, you and I and all Christians would stop thinking that we're good people. <laughs> it's all by the grace of God. I'm nothing but a failure. But God is, God is not dealing with me according to my works. I want to please God. I want to live for God. But none of that is for my justification. It's because of my love for him. That's what I want it to be. It should be for your love for him as well. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.